This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Okay, y'all, I'm here with Mushroom Mateo from Toadstool Traditions. Um, and I met you last week, actually, a week ago exactly. Yep. At the Carbondale Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. And I saw there was a mushroom man. Yep. I've been like on my radar as a mushroom man to cool. interview for the show for whatever reason I felt called to that. Nice. And sure enough, a mushroom man showed up in my field there and he had a bag of what kind of mushrooms were those? Uh, a variety possibly. The uh, ones that the, the reindeer and the... Oh, <laughs> that's the Amanita muscaria. Yeah, that one caught my eye because that's the same one that the emoji most looks like, correct? Uh, the, on the phone when you're using... Oh, when, uh, if I was probably, getting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most classic identifiable mushrooms. And the one maybe from like Mario and Luigi, it kind of looks like that one. Yeah, definitely copied that kind of color. How would you describe the color for someone that's not familiar with what I'm referencing? Um, the shape, like what would you describe this mushroom in particular to look like? Uh, it's the classic stem and cap shape with a blood red to faded orange cap uh, with bright white spots and uh, that mushroom first of all i didn't even know that was legal to possess yeah yeah uh, okay because i've heard some crazy stories about sure. that one including the reindeer story and, right in finland and maybe where the christmas tradition of ornaments on a tree came totally from, arguably yeah. so i'd love to hear your version of that story oh. in a coconut shell if possible yeah sure um well i think i don't think they got onto the schedule list because i don't think they're very fun to take uh so the risk for abuse is pretty much non-existent um they yeah long crazy long history i'm not a historian on the amanita muscaria but they um definitely still use them in certain parts of siberia um and i don't know i wasn't there when it happened <laughs> originally so i can't say for sure but there seems to be um i guess somewhat of a tradition still i mean they never lost their kind of euro fungal centric diet they have always had their um appreciation and education in wild foraging uh i'm still hearing about grandmas and moms that go foraging oh we used to love going with the family and picking mushrooms it's it's part of their culture so they don't have the fear we have um surrounding mysterious fruit bodies um so yeah they're more open and game to eating um appropriately identified mushrooms in the forest than we are um that's mostly all i can say about it everything i know or is just hearsay because i've never been over there to really experience it cool so um that's i do want to talk about where this the western fear of eating mushrooms right. or foraging for mushrooms may be stemmed from sure but from what, I, what i've heard about this story is that uh, especially maybe talking to you briefly about it and from other podcasters. I think okay. there's some pretty famous podcasters, uh, okay. like one of my friends, the guy that runs the On It podcast, Kyle Kingsbury, okay. and potentially his partner, um, 
Aubrey Marcus mm-hmm. from Onnit, the CEO of Onnit. I think they're both quite experimental with mushrooms and mm-hmm. have spoken aloud about it. And I think I remember <coughs> Aubrey interviewing the Four Sigmatic guy, which is a cool sure. interview. And I think he's from Finland. Okay. And from my understanding, they would take those mushrooms on the solstice, oh, like okay. on the winter solstice. Yeah, allegedly the original Christmas would have been on the solstice. That would have been the the celestial um, focus point of the season. Okay, yeah. Not not four days prior or at, later. It would have been on the 21st, on the solstice. And that probably makes sense. That's probably such a phenomenon, especially in those climates and those sure. regions in the world. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that I even herds or somewhere along the lines that they, they would dry them in a, the – typical christmas tree that we see today and as an ornament almost that's yeah you i've seen squirrels dry mushrooms on uh, pine branches like that and i don't know that's kind of my putting two and two together was drying mushrooms on the limbs and really did kind of look like an ornament so it the uh the mythology is there um i guess it just takes the the free thought to connect it all and <laughs> believe something other than what we've been taught for so long. Well, I definitely think mushrooms free thought, my thought in particular, right? in particular mushrooms free my thought in different ways than others do. Right now I'm sipping on some of your cordyceps tea. Yeah. Uh, what, man, we got so much to talk about. So we still got to talk <laughs> about where the fear stems from. We got to talk about what cordyceps are. And on this, back to the story at hand, mm-hmm. on the solstice, they would either eat the mushrooms or the reindeer would eat the mushrooms and then and they would drink the urine from the mushroom, right. the, the reindeer that had the right. mushroom, and then go into the, a delirious, psychoactive, right. spiritual state, potentially? Um, well, potentially the delirium is subsided from the mammalian liver and kidney system filtering out the toxins. Um, so the reindeer eat the mushroom uh the toxins get metabolized and are no longer toxic to the human and then the human drinks the urine of the reindeer and then they have the psychoactive dose because the toxins have already been metabolized i've heard of people doing that themselves where they also assume the position of the reindeer um, and they, <clears throat> that first step is supposed to be delirious where you're kind of metabolizing the toxins. And then if you're persistent and courageous enough to follow through with round two of drinking your own urine, then you get the psychoactive, uh, kind of round two of that mushroom. So it's kind of a commitment. It's not a willy nilly. Let's see what happens. It's kind of a, all right, we're going to do something weird, and we're going to pray to the cycles of the universe. And have you partaken in that mushroom? or um... A little bit. I've never done the full cycles, um, but I've nibbled on some. I feel like we made a tea. Probably wasn't very potent because we were misguided with all the mythology. Um, but I've definitely smoked it, and that's pretty pleasant. That's pretty mild. Oh, you can smoke that mushroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I um, what about psilocybin mushrooms? Have you heard of people smoking those? I've heard of people smoking those. Um, I've had limited uh, experience in that. I think if you're already feeling the effects of mushrooms, smoking it will take you farther. But starting from zero, I don't know if you can smoke enough to get enough molecules in your brain. Um, 
But that's everybody's constitution is different. People's sensitivities and the way they metabolize and absorb things is different. So anybody's welcome to try it. Um, the worst thing that could happen is you inhale some spores and powdered mushrooms, which is not a great thing to do. So you'd probably want to come up with some methodology to n reduce that <laughs> the inhalation of actual material. The smoke's okay, but the material you wouldn't want in there. And when you say anyone can do it, do you think there's a danger in doing this? Like a physical danger for um, people? Because I know there some people under the influence of mushrooms could get extra paranoid or maranoid about sure. the physical fears already depending sure. on their state. Yeah. And is there an actual physical thing to be concerned about i don't know of any studies involving this topic um so i would say anecdotally um yeah a water pipe might be a good approach that would uh reduce any potential for inhaling powder um or airborne spores um a lot of people listening might just be like this is ridiculous don't ever do that but i know it works um I've heard of people having experience. Some people love it. Some people think it tastes nasty, but it just really requires the uh, courageousness of an open mind and some self-experimentation. And that would be for both the mushrooms we were referencing thus yeah. far. Yeah. And the one when I say a psilocybin type of mushroom, that means a mushroom that contains the compound psilocybin. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Mm -hmm. uh, then because there's plenty of psilocybin mushrooms. Is that correct? There. There are a lot of them, yeah, and some of them have concentrations that are too low to be psychoactive. Some have kind of a cocktail of alkaloids that are not very well understood um, and therefore are either labeled toxic or inedible. Um, so there's a lot of kind of gray area in the field guides. Um, in some authors, when they don't know... Uh, something they just kind of label it as inedible so if they don't know anyone personally that's eaten a mushroom they'll say it's inedible or like the amanita muscaria they'll call that toxic because most people aren't really eating it for food as a, in a survival situation but if you were to eat it for food in a survival situation apparently according to dave aurora you can boil it uh and just dump the water two or three times. So you're cooking out all the toxins and all the psychoactives and just dumping them and just eating the mushroom for protein. Oh, wow. Wow. So that's, that's one way to actually have a, a, uh, a, um, yeah, a delicious meal in the woods and not get weird. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think any. I'm not suggesting anyone do that unless they feel as always. Like I'm not really suggesting much to anyone on this show, except <laughs> I'm curious about other people that have been curious enough to learn sure. about things that I want to learn about, right. and asking the questions about them. And then obviously, everyone that's listening to this, you do what you're most aligned with. And if you do experiment in these top, any of the topics we're talking about, or you have experience in them, please. Let me know. I'm curious. I'm really curious. You can leave a comment on the Apple iTunes, and that's good for the algorithms as well. Or you can email me. And if people want to reach out to you, by the way, what's the best place to learn more about what you're up to? Uh, it's Facebook, uh, Instagram somewhat. Mostly it's the webpage, toadstooltraditions.com. 
Um, I, yeah, we've been moving, so I'm not super up to date on my social media, but it's there, and I love talking about this stuff, so if anybody wants to shoot an email, feel free to. Awesome. Um, and on that note, let's, let's circle back to the kind of the fear around mushrooms right. and where that may stem from, because I'm, I'm finding myself, I'm wondering if I'm even putting that disclaimer out about that. We're not suggesting that because it right. stemmed from some sort of fear I have, or I've had, especially culturally, if I just kind of drifted culturally. Sure. Uh, I would assume, uh, well, let's not start with assumptions. Let's see. There's, uh, Fungiphobia, which uh, our culture is rich in, and there's fungiphilia, which the Europeans never lost. And I think that might be the trick, uh, or the detail, is uh, our tradition, maybe the uh, either the social tradition of grandmas teaching grandkids what mushrooms are good and what mushrooms are bad to eat, um, that coupled with the just the um, impermanence of them. Uh, for a long time, uh, people just called them plants. They considered them plants, and they thought they were this mysterious, one-day-only plant. And with that mystery and lack of understanding, they just kind of blanket statement, don't do not do experiment with those, because they're either too mysterious to trust, or we just don't know anything about it, don't waste your time. I think that might be where it stemmed from. And what's the danger in that, in your opinion? And like, what's the riches of learn? Or wh- how, what would you describe your passion as? Like, you're myophilic. You said uh, that mycophilic. mycophilic. Yeah, mycophilic. I love mushrooms. Uh, anything mycology, I'm into. Um, well, you could die if you ate the wrong mushroom. Uh, you could get severely sick, or you could just get mildly sick. Um, there's mu- lots of mushrooms do have poisonous lookalikes. A lot of edible mushrooms that are delicious um, do have deadly lookalikes. Um, some just have kind of gastrointestinal upset um, lookalikes, so they're, you're not guaranteed to die. Um, although some of the toxins are so bad you'll wish you died, um, like liquefying your liver, um, shutting down your kidneys, stuff like that. That's kind of the some of the common... Um, side effects of mycotoxins um and let's see there's a lot of debate over what seems to me morphology but the mycologists who are trying to actually kind of publish uh new species are into the taxonomy so there's this endless debate on uh, the taxonomy of mushroom species um but as a grower, a uh, cultivator of mushrooms, I've seen the same species of mushroom grow in so many different ways due to environmental input that these taxonomic uh, debates may just be environmental morphology. Um, so there was, let's see, Gary Linkov was a great um, forager and identifier. He wrote the National Audubon Society guidebook to field mushrooms. Um, His uh, wise suggestion is to cross-reference at least three different guidebooks. That way you'll get three different authors, you'll get three different 
photographs, hopefully, of the same mushroom. And from there, you can kind of piece together your own interpretation of what you're witnessing. Man, there's got to be some people working on an app for this. Like, do you know of any there's, that are advanced there's a, enough to yeah, suggest? Yeah, kind of plant snap. There's a mushroom ID app. I think that's what it's called, mushroom ID. Um, I haven't used it yet because I'm just dorking out on cultivating and trying to move in. So I haven't been foraging much. But I hope it is awesome. <laughs> and what do you, like so uh, for me, I know it might be challenging to answer, but I've gained so much life experience and wisdom okay. and joy from surfing. Okay. But not it's not it's very rare that I find someone that's actually surfing unless I'm at a surf spot. And um, it's challenging to explain to someone what they make gain from right. getting passionate about sure. this. So do you have any kind of ways to explore what would people potentially gain from becoming more passionate about mushrooms? Um, a lot. Um, an awareness of ecology that was previously invisible. Um, people that aren't really into agriculture just kind of see plants as and trees as things or just kind of, Oh, look, that's pretty. Or that's, that's a neat flower. Um, but once you start really picking apart the layers and getting into it, you see the interconnectedness of the ecosystem and things don't stand alone, uh, so much in one's perspective. So with the mushrooms, one of the biggest realizations for me was seeing how intricately, essential they are into a healthy ecosystem um allegedly they predate plants when i say they i mean fungi not necessarily proper mushrooms but fungi predate plants by half a million years or more um so that's just crazy to think about i when i hear that i kind of imagine this essentially rock planet with water um here there and everywhere and then these mushrooms who's to say how they got here maybe some spores drifted in maybe they got carried in on a comet um started growing um in kind of some rubble just because it was moist and there was some mineral content and then they started dissolving the rocks and creating more mineral and then with the dead f kind of mycelial framework and the minerals uh, created kind of a scaffolding for what whatever early uh, bacteria or single-celled organisms may have been around. Um, so yeah, it still blows my mind that mushrooms dissolved enough rock to create topsoil for plants to evolve the ability to dig roots into i'm not really clear on this i w again i wasn't there i didn't see this happen but that's what the uh the record is showing is fungal growth way before plants and on that note um do you these are some bigger questions so I'll strap on sure <laughs> do you believe that fungi or fungi fungi as you pronounced it or um, mushrooms have a consciousness and do you believe you have a consciousness and then what is consciousness in your opinion um what is consciousness um i guess just the ability to be aware that we're having this conversation would be consciousness i don't know do dogs know 
they're barking at each other? I would assume they do. Consciousness seems pretty prevalent uh, in on this planet. Um, I am certainly conscious. Uh, I would say mushrooms are certainly conscious. They're investigating their environment and making decisions based on the data that they acquire. So they're certainly engaging in the environment and making choices so that if that's not consciousness then this is one random ass universe and there's no answers to anything <laughs> only questions only questions questions maybe the answers <laughs> wow that all right so that's just very fascinating for me to consider and maybe others and for yourself that the original consciousness on planet earth arguably could be fungi right and wh- uh, what is the so it, let's just I'm talking to my two-year-old daughter, or my five-year-old daughter, let's say she's five, remembering the future, mm-hmm. and I'm telling her what fungi and mushrooms are. What What's the difference between fungi, mushrooms, mycelium, spores? What's Can you uh, give us a little basic foundation sure. of mycology language? Yes. Uh, so the fungi is the kingdom, the kingdom of fungi. Uh, fungi include single-celled organisms as well as... Um, stately Amanita muscaria stem and cap mushrooms. So fungi, let's see, I should be able to just regurgitate the definition of a fungi, but it has mycelia instead of roots, it exhales CO2 instead of oxygen, Um, it dissolves lignin and cellulose where plants are not digesting those things, they're made up of those things. Um, there, I think that's enough that, I mean, that's enough of a characteristic difference to be in a totally different kingdom right there. And then mycelium are the, you're saying the roots of, uh, no, the, or, the mycelium is the organism itself. Okay. So the cobwebby mm-hmm. structure in the soil is the fungal creature. The mushroom is a reproductive organ in order to spread the spores, uh, into the atmosphere or into the ecosystem. So analogous to a fruit to a tree, and analogous, a mushroom yes, is to mycelium. Very much so. Um, and instead of dropping a seed or seeds, it drops spores. Billions of spores, and it takes two spores to germinate, link up, and fruit. Um, so there's... <clears throat> Let's let's see. Get mine. Uh, let's see. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, so my Rolodex of uh, vocabulary is not rolling very well today. Um, let's see. There's a shit. I lost it. There's a positive and a negative spore, and you need one of each for them to team up to be a viable fruiting strain. They can f- they can uh, colonize on their own. You can get a monokaryotic. Uh, s- spore, um, and it can uh, it can also kind of take over and grow underground, but it'll never produce a fruit because it's not it doesn't have the whole story. It's just got half the story. So once those two hyphal elements meet, hyphal meaning the threads of mycelium that come out of the spore, they meet, and if they're genetically compatible, they will clamp connect. 
something you can literally see under a microscope. They cl clip to each other, and then they're a permanent thing. And then they've got enough DNA diversity to fruit and dominate and spread their genetics throughout the environment. Wow. And do these <laughs> different... This is awesome. I definitely feel like, like I'm getting edutained here, so thank cool. you. Um, <laughs> it can different... Just like a... Uh, can they crossbreed? Can or do they have to be the same they species can. of sorts? To they have to be s close enough to where the genetic material recognizes the other genetic material. Um, I've heard of some researchers using um, snake venom as one method of breaking down the cell wall in order to expose the the genetic material on the inside of the cells so that they can mix and have a chance to cross breed um but i think the success of that is relatively low um because i mean they're they're not they're not sticking to simple they're kind of trying to cross pretty far distant stuff so they're just kind of mushing them um so i don't know uh, that, that's kind of the type of research that you don't really hear about and is not really written about you. You hear that's because it's a step in the process. You hear about the success stories, or maybe some attempts, but you don't really hear about the nitty gritty details of which ones they were trying to mix and what they used. And at least I haven't found this information. Well, I'm happy I'm asking some breaking normal questions. And one of the <laughs> reasons I'm asking these specifics is because I uh, one of the most consistent supplements that you can buy on the counter or in a grocery store that I've used over a period of time is this host defense, my community, mm -hmm. the comprehensive immune support <clears throat> mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I've been hearing some different debates about if they're using the fruiting bodies or using the mycelium itself or something around right. that. And I was wanting to get illuminated on that. Like why, okay. what is host defense using and what are other brands using and what's the difference? And sure. is one superior? Sure. Um, uh, Let's see, superior would only be identified through testing, and woefully little testing is being made these days. People are testing their CBD, and they're testing maybe for mycotoxins in mushrooms uh, or extracts, um, and then they're testing for polysaccharides, because a lot of the fungal uh, compounds that are medicinal are polysaccharide sugars air quote sugars uh they i mean they're even sweet a lot of them um so when you're getting a myceliated rice product like the host defense um stuff that is kind of it's kind of on the fence some of the species in that mix can't be viably cultivated um to fruit so mycelium's all you can have so for that it makes sense and then other species uh maybe like a maitake or shiitake, um, reishi. I mean, that's stuff that you could definitely fruit out and grind up and make a tincture. But like the agaricon, um, let's see who else is in here. And some of the polypores are just a little bit more challenging. Is it Was it advantageous for a supplier probably to be supplying mycelium over fruit bodies? Absolutely. It's way easier to work with the mycelium because you don't have to take it all the way to fruit and then process the fruit. How do you take that out? Like how would someone take out a mycelium of soil? Um, probably growing it in liquid culture. So a small vat of nutrient broth with the mycelium 
colonizing the nutrient broth. And then you just strain it out, and you don't have any of the substrate. You just have the um, the mycelium. Or if it's on rice, uh, let's see, dried myceliated or brown rice. So they'll grow it on the brown rice, which is a great substrate. Um, but then there's no way to remove the my mycelium because it's in, on, and around the rice. So you just grind up the whole bit and extract that, which is valid. I mean, you're getting the compounds, but you're also getting a whole heap of polysaccharides derived from the rice. Yeah, well, I use it uh, because it seems like it works. And maybe I'm one, sometimes I've wondered if I am feeling the cordyceps. And I'm like, okay. is that what I'm thinking is working? Because oh, right. the cordyceps seem to have uh, a different... It's more tangible. Uh, yeah, more than, say, chaga for me. Sure. For me. Uh-huh. Um, and we, uh, we just drank some cordyceps tea. What, is, what are cordyceps? What's so special about cordyceps? And I know there's all kinds of, like, video footage from, like, these National Geographic yeah. things of ants. Or, like, stunning. mushrooms popping out of the ants' backs. Sure. Like, what's happening with all this? Um, There's a theory... That every insect has a corresponding cordyceps mushroom. Uh, I don't know if that's evolution or they just teamed up <laughs> and uh, decided to balance things out. But um, they're pretty much everywhere. I think I found... I couldn't be sure. I was in a hurry. I should have grabbed it to get a microscope. But I think I found a fly with cordyce dried cordyceps mushrooms coming off of it just in my stuff while I was moving. So they're a lot more common than we think they are. Um, but the ones that have really gained notoriety are the ones from Nepal um, that grow at like 11,000 feet. Um, and they're literally one mushroom per caterpillar um, of this particular moth that flies up that high, lays eggs, and then the spores get into the caterpillar, caterpillar burrows, and then the mushroom gestates and uses the caterpillar as a food source. And when it's ready, it normally shoots a mushroom out in between kind of the segments of the body and um, sends its genetic material via spores into the environment to start all over again. Um, so Cordyceps militaris is the most common because it's just easier to grow. Um, Cordyceps sinensis is the caterpillar fungus um, from Nepal that really started the whole rage. Um, so from my understanding, you're, there's a moth that carries what to the 11,000 foot altitude? Uh, it carries itself. It carries itself, okay. And then that moth... It lays eggs. It lays eggs. And those caterpillars ingest... Uh, n I think it's just spores. Just maybe they eat a spore while they're rummaging around on the ground eating. Uh, maybe it just flies and lands on them in the right spot and is able to get in. Probably gets. They probably eat the spore. And are these uh, spores that are once again? Would these be a, a positive and a negative or a? Or yes. It, okay. Yes. So they're dikaryotic, meaning you need one of each. And. Um, then and, and it busts through the caterpillar and it produces one cordyceps mushroom. Pretty much one mushroom. That's kind of the rule of thumb. I'm sure there's some uh, some some ex 
extenuating circumstances where you get a few of them. Because uh, I've definitely seen ants with a variety, but the caterpillar seems to just shoot up the one. And the caterpillar die. These insects die. All yes. of them die. When yes, this it becomes the food source for the mushroom. The mushroom then eats the ca- the <laughs> carcass. Right, right. Um, so there's kind of some gray area around that as well, um, because the caterpillar living underground, uh, kind of a warmish, moist environment, may host other molds or other fungi in addition to the cordyceps. So there's kind of this um, unspoken, unstudied, un really. Uh, researchable. I mean, there's just so many caterpillars at such a high elevation that it'd be hard to really um, get a baseline on how many additional molds and funguses are involved. So that's the thing. It's it's highly variable since it's in such a natural state, in such a wild environment. There's no guarantee that you're only going to have the cordyceps in there. Yeah, yeah. And then culturally and traditionally in that environment, people consumed these mushrooms for, we, yeah. don't, we don't know how long exactly. Yeah, a long time. And did they just eat them right off, like yeah. just the way just, they are? I believe so. Eat them. Uh, I'd imagine they make tea as well. But I think they eat the caterpillar and the uh, mushroom as well. Just one whole thing. Yeah, so I wonder, is there any way, has anyone found a way to procure and produce those for other people to try that don't go to Nepal? They have, and it's very difficult, and that's why we have compromised and just kind of uh, shared allegiance to the Cordyceps Militaris. It's just much easier to grow. Um, It may not be as potent in Cordycepin as the Cordyceps Sinensis, but, I mean, it works. Every time I drink it, it does what I want it to. Which is what? Uh, energizes. Um, not stimulates, but energizes. So it uh, it feeds your mitochondria in the currency that it is most familiar with, the adenosine triphosphate, and is an actual energy that your cells are individually producing for themselves. It's so f- mystical and fascinating how these mushrooms kill the insect. Right. And the ant one, is the, that's a different one in different regions. Different species. Uh, I'm sure Nepal has some ant cordyceps <laughs> as well. <laughs> Man. And then the uh, the one that's most easily grown, does that take an insect too in the Cordycep growth? Cordyceps militaris. Yes, absolutely. Um, I want to say it's from an ant, but I can't be certain of that. Um, you could probably grow it on a variety of insects if you really tried. Um, but it grows on rice or grain or... Oh, so there is a way two. to grow it without exactly. killing yes. insects. Exactly, yes. So that's another reason this species has gained uh, popularity is because it's ease of culture. You don't need to inject individual insects <laughs> like some people have done successfully. But that's tedious, expensive, and... That's radical. Radical, especially to us Westerners. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Now the uh, the psilocybin mushroom topic. I know that's a fun a fun one. Um, Why do you think that one is illegal? 
Why is it illegal? Or ha- now, I guess now it's becoming less illegal in certain areas. Yeah. Well, I think cool. it just comes to the uh, phobia. It's it's an unknown. It's mysterious. Um, and that might be reason enough right there for people to try to either defend their children blindly or just cancel opportunities because of the fear of it being harmful or otherwise. And what do you have any theories or ideas of what takes place when someone consumes a say uh, a, a microdose of a psilocybin containing mushroom up to a macrodose? <laughs> hmm, I am hesitant to get into brain chemistry cuz I'm not super read up on it. Um but I believe the tryptamines are acting on your serotonin receptors. Um that's why Dosing two days in a row is not as effective because you're supposed to technically build up a tolerance for that receptor. Um, You need more of the uh, serotonin agonist to do the same effect that it did the previous time. Well, what if someone is doing like a microdosing regimen and they're not they're not even trying to go for the uh, high right. or the right. hallucinations right. or whatever someone wants to call them the sure. spiritual the uh-huh. deep spiritual experience um and they're just wanting to get a little like the brain medicine yeah. medicine for their brain and of Yeah, sorts. I think you could do that a variety of days in a row. Um because since the goal is not the effect, the goal is more just um let's say Enhancing their neurochemical cocktail, trying to add a few ingredients to that recipe, it's really good to just have that molecule floating around in your soup, and it does whatever it does. We don't even know everything that it does. What do you think it does? I don't know what it does. It definitely... Like on a subjective <laughs> experience. <laughs> on a subjective... You don't have to get into the science. I'm just like, what, is you, what do you think it does for you? Uh, it opens... It opens, um, opens awareness, opens possibility, um, and it makes you curious. I think with that openness comes curiosity, and the curiosity can lead you anywhere. There's no telling. That's half the fun of being curious, is you don't know what you're going to learn or where it's going to take you, who might show up to teach you, um, but the plants and the fungi can teach us, and we can teach ourselves if we listen, and it doesn't take large doses to learn. Yeah, to me, there's it seems like for me there's some sort of connection with that, uh, a psilocybin type of mushroom mm-hmm. experience, and something with bending time. Okay. Time. I don't know if there's hmm. anything that comes up with, for you with time and that mushroom and um, what it all might mean. <laughs> My time has been warped for so long that I don't know if <laughs> any one thing does it anymore. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll be there in two minutes. Twelve minutes later, I, I think it's only been two minutes. So my time is not a good gauge for anyone's standard. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's perception time kind of ticking on is perception. So if our perception is altered, I'd imagine our relationship with time could be as well. And that being said, your brand Toadstool Traditions, what's mm-hmm. that mean? Toadstool. Toadstool. I don't know. I just kind of, I it came to me in the early days and I thought it was cool. Kind of taking back the word toadstool from the phobia 
um, side of things. I am, and traditions, mushrooms and fungi have a tradition of healing their environment, um, changing their environment, um, encouraging mammals to partner. Um, and it's almost, it kind of reminds me of the Michael Pollan's um, perspective, or the plants cultivating us, or are we cultivating them? So mushrooms seem to be following us around, and are we bringing them around, or are they chasing us, or did they mastermind the whole thing eons ago? Nobody knows. Um, but yeah, just trying to stay traditional to a degree. I mean, I'm not afraid of technology, um, but our current bottleneck of ecology and agriculture is not the solution so it seems like a traditional approach may be part of the solution at least yeah that's awesome do you have a a message for the people out there <laughs> about like what's like the what would be your main aim in toadstool traditions my main aim um mostly educate supply and create uh there's so many untapped ideas um, that are available through mushrooms like uh, the remediation of chemicals in soil and water, um, remediation of kind of plaque and pollution in the brain and body. Um, I think there's tremendous potential in turning waste products like sawdust into homes. Um, can, there's a company, Ecovative, who is currently working on growing houses. Um, I'm not sure how far they've progressed. I think they've done it completely. Um, how streamlined the process is and how reasonable it could be applied to mass production, I don't know. But if you're taking free inputs and turning it into something useful, I think that can carry itself really far. Yeah, those are some big topics. Thank you for bringing those up. For the remediation of plaque or unnecessary plaque or inflammation in someone's body, mm -hmm. um, do you have a specific cocktail that you would recommend the masses getting curious about quickly? Um, sure. Uh, let's see. Well, we're in Colorado, so CBD seems to be part of the recipe. Um for a good foundational immune boost and a foundational um, anti-inflammation effect. Um, so the CBD would be your foundation. And since you're, it, that's taking care of your immune system, the mushroom or whatever supplement you took on top of the CBD can full force do its specialty. So lion's mane, for example... Um, is touted as a anti-inflammatory, um, but I think to it is to a lesser degree than CBD. So if you take the CBD and it's taking care of the anti-inflammatory, the lion's mane doesn't have to kind of spin its wheels in your immune system. It can just go straight to your brain and really take off and do what it's doing there. This is all theoretical. I don't have any science to back this up, but this is what we've been seeing um, through talking to the community and uh, studying.
reading. Wow, that's fascinating. I didn't know that there was a CBD connection with your kind of foundational recipe for mushroom success. Yeah, yeah, I really think it's there. Um, I'm not a, a... I decided long ago I wasn't going to get into the cannabis. I mean, I've, I love cannabis still and have as long as I can remember, but it's we've got that covered. <laughs> we got plenty of people on the cannabis. So I don't have all the details and ins and outs, but I do know it works. And it seems to be in there so much, when I say in there, in the immune system to a degree that I don't, I don't know, you may not need anything else. Um, obviously, if you have like specific ailments, you might want to team up with a naturopath or a doctor and really dial in what your issue is. But for general health and general um, concern of well-being, the CBD with the lion's mane is a killer combo taken at the same time sure well this is amazing news because um one of the podcast sponsors is a cbd company from okay. a farmer they they get all their hemp from one farmer okay. in peonia oh really uh so it was it was aligned and i the owner i don't know if you know ned full spectrum yes okay yeah they're sponsoring this podcast so uh, check okay. them out at breakingnormal.com slash podcast. Go to helloned.com slash breakingnormal, and I think they give a certain percentage off everyone's first order. All right, cool. And Deanna's loving it, and we haven't – I haven't come to this connecting the mushrooms uh -huh. with the CBD, and you're saying – I like this. I don't know. Do you have a specific regimen of how you do the lion's mane with it, or you just kind of mix them together? No, I I have no regimen whatsoever. <laughs> there's, there's pretty much nothing I do every day um, supplement-wise. Um, so I take it for a while and then don't take it and then typically notice that I haven't taken it and then start taking it again. I'm just kind of, uh, the mad scientist when it comes to self, uh, medicating. Uh, I don't really have a strict, I don't have any overarching health issues. So I don't really have anything like that. Just really bearing down on me to stay focused and You've never, with loving cannabis, you've never gotten into the um, ritual of potentially consuming almost every day, uh, ganja or tobacco or almost every alcohol day. or coffee or any any of those. No, no, and Just... and then when I do t notice I'm taking something every day, I'll make a note to stop taking <laughs> it for at least a while. And the but the cannabis is the one that comes closest to that for you. That's probably the closest to an everyday. Uh huh. Good old ganja. Yep. <laughs> Yep, she's she's there. She uh she does what you want. Sometimes too good. Sometimes it gets awkward, but that's your fault, not hers. <laughs> I like that's four forty four. I like that um the I'm happy to learn about this thing you're exploring with with the lion's mane specifically with the um CBD. And do you sell your stuff online? I do. So people can buy stuff from you online. Yes. Okay, cool. So that's toadstooltraditions.com. We'll put that in the show notes and everything. Awesome. So for people to check out, it looks like you have the Instagram and Facebook as well. So awesome. Mm -hmm. And your card here says, eat mushrooms, stay healthy. Research indicates that consuming lion's mane mushrooms helps regulate, these are some big topics, brain health, nerve growth, inflammation, blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, depression, anxiety, and GI health. And that's kind of a shortened list. I didn't want to put it all on there because uh, it would have just looked like a snake oil product. Um, and I'm not the researcher who decided it does all these things, so I still kind of, yeah, research indicates. I don't know if it does or not. It seems to, and the research is there. Go read it.
and like CBD, it's a hot topic. To, uh, lion's mane is in a lot of labs right now being studied. So regularly, there's they're finding out specific compounds that are doing specific things to the body, and they're finding new compounds. And have you? I know we're here at the host of Fence Bottle, uh, Paul Stamets. He definitely gets around on podcast. The I guess he's the owner of Host Defense or the founder of it. Uh-huh. Um, he I heard him there. He has some sort of regimen. It sounds like he's potentially suggesting of mixing psilocybin with lion's mane with niacin. Have Correct. you heard of this? Uh huh. Did he put a patent or something on this? Do you know what uh, the story is around this? It might be a patentable idea. I think that might be one of his give it to the world yep. knowledge uh, generosities of his. And I think I heard somewhere that, I don't know if it was from an interview, but he may have patented it. What I understood is that he may have patented it so other pharmaceutical companies don't Ah, So he's, he's sequestered this, uh, this concept. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's badass. Um, yeah, uh, some people, yeah, the whole myceliated rice is kind of curious, but I, it's not totally bunk. Um but it's not as good as it can be, but it is what it is. I mean, he's trying to supply this to a nation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to squeeze it a little bit when you're trying to spread it that thin. Have you tried that regimen at all, the mixing? The- uh, a little. Uh, the niacin. I, I just haven't gotten to a place in my life where I'm wanting to deliberately make myself uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm very sensitive to niacin. Um some people, the flush only lasts 15, 20 minutes. For me, it lasts a full hour. Um, so I haven't really gotten past the 14 milligram point. Um, he recommends um, up to 100, 150 milligrams, but in steps. You want to work your way up there. For the niacin specifically. For the niacin specifically. That way your body gets accustomed to that f- uh, vasodilation, uh, which causes that uh, kind of flushing, itching effect. But the theory is you've got the harissinone, the lion's mane molecules, and the psilocybin molecules floating around in your brain. Um, and then the niacin comes in after and dilates your capillaries, uh, even the really tiny ones in your brain, and gets the psilocybin and the hericinone, arenacine, the lion's mane cons- constituents, deeper into your cortex and deeper into the tiny um, capillaries of your brain and further to the ends of the nervous system because it's also... Well, you're, it gets blurry when you're getting to the peripheral nervous system and the neurons of the brain, apparently they're very similar. And uh, the lion's mane and the psilocybin is helping your body create new cells and nerve endings there. And the niacin is supposed to allow its range to become more prolific. Awesome, man. That's uh, yeah. This is a good, I think, a good foundational understanding yeah. of mycology. Cool. And some good, fun, comfortable topics to get curious about. No doubt. So thank you for your time and your presence and uh, exploring this topic with me. And yeah, keep breaking normal, (laughs) y'all. Peace. Peace. This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Man, that got me stoked for more edutaining mushroom, mushroom podcasts. Let me know what y'all thought. Love to hear from you, whether it's through an Instagram message or 
I can review on the iTunes section of this podcast. Both are supportive. They're gifts for me to receive, so I'm remembering a future receiving many more because the the ones that have come have been so amazing, such divine affirmations to this breaking normal path that I find myself on. And uh, I just thought it was so synchronous about the CBD synergy with mushrooms and specifically lion's mane. I thought that was really cool. So I'm super thankful uh, that Mateo dropped that download. And I just want to, on that note, I want to remind you all to go to helloned.com slash breaking normal and to put your code in breaking normal to get, I think it's 15% off your first order. Check it out. It might have changed. Um, to even something better. They have awesome lip balms. And more importantly, on the topic of this podcast is the, uh, the lip balms are funny because how Davina uses them. I'm so stoked about, but the, uh, tinctures are what's probably more relevant for y'all. And this is maybe a great place to look for CBD. I definitely think they have an advantage with having the one amazing farmer from Paonia, um, like one farm sourced rather than all over the place. I think it makes it maintains the quality that much more easily. And on the note of quality, our next tribe design is on September 13th, Friday the 13th, full harvest moon in Sedona in September. And man, we booked our accommodations. It's super neat how we have it set up. However, there's not, there's not as many spaces right now. There's a total of 38 spaces available currently how we have it and um meaning the way more than half are taken i believe and potentially by the time the early bird special ends or transitions on july 22nd i'm not sure if there's any more tickets available but whenever you're hearing this definitely apply a tribe design if you want to get the full breaking normal experience as you've probably heard me say that i've heard someone else say that you know you can only talk about an ice cream sundae so long but to really experience it you got to get a taste so if you're craving that breaking normal taste ingredient in your life and to launch launch a new way of being where cultural norms or ancestral trauma is no longer something that holds you back but something you alchemized and now you can empower others to do the same then come on up come on down to tribe design man make some best friends it's like where friends become family and family become friends it's super cool i had a investor slash entrepreneur hit me up today about bringing in his kid and i was like yeah man i mean i explained in a longer format that at our last event in Breckenridge, we had more kids than ever, and that is a trend that I trust is going to only get stronger because who's really a kid and who's really an adult? Where, where do you draw the line? I, I trust we can all be old kids one day with a youthful spirit. And on that note, keep breaking normal. Check out that CBD. Let me know about your results of pairing it with lion's mane or whatever mushroom you choose. There's millions, it seems. And I trust this was very edutaining. Uh, let me know. See you in Sedona, potentially. If you're ready to get extra vortexy, definitely get your application in, in ASAP. All right, y'all. Peace. And.